Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Angie Fryermuth. And I'm Aaron Schneider. Today's guests are Al Wong, the Safety Program Manager at Headquarters, Violet Elbright, who's the Deputy Chief of Construction at Sacramento District, and Willie Pack Sr., who's the Construction Control Representative for Baltimore District. Thank you all for being here today. Thank you. The safety of our staff and public is a top priority for the Corps. Um, today we want to have a, a discussion about dredge safety, and there's been some challenges, I think, in the, the safety um, aspect of the dredging program recently um, in particular. Uh, so we really want to talk a little bit about the importance of safety, um, but also really give our listeners a better understanding of just the dredge program and what that is. And we suspect that some people might not even know what a dredge is or what working conditions are and really why these, this fleet of dredges is so important to not only the Corps of Engineers, but the nation. Um, but before we get into all of that, I um, wanted to just hear from each of you about um, yourselves and your current position. So, Al, I think we'll start with you. Could you just give us a, a little bit of a, a background of how you got to where you are within the Corps? Good afternoon. My name is Albert Wong, and I'm one of the safety program managers up at headquarters. Uh, I mainly focus on diving and maritime safety issues. With that, I've been here for about six years, and prior to that, I was an industrial hygiene officer inside the U.S. Navy, uh, and of course we deal with maritime issues over in, in that respect. Hi, I'm the Deputy Chief of Construction for Sacramento District. I have worked with the Army Corps of Engineers for coming up on 16 years. I started in San Francisco District working on dredging and uh, environmental restoration. Then I moved to New Orleans working on the Hurricane Storm Damage Risk Reduction System primarily doing a lot of work with levees, flood walls, shoreline protection, much of it from floating plant or, or vessels or boats. Then I moved to Portland District, where I became a regional technical specialist for dredging and marine construction, working with all kinds of dredging equipment across the entire West Coast uh, before I came to Sacramento District. Thanks. And Willie, how about you? Yes, my name is uh, Willie Faxina, as has been already stated. I've been in the navigation section for operations division now for 34 years, and I've been doing the same thing in the same office, and I've seen many people come and many, many, many people go. As a dredging inspector, I, I do more than just dredging, but it's mostly maritime work. 90% of my job, my work is on the water, uh, either doing beach replenishment with dredges or uh, deepening the harbors for uh, larger ships to come through and so they don't go aground. Like I say again, I've been doing this for 34 years, I, and I enjoy it every day to see the sunrise and the sunset out there on the ocean. So uh, that's, that's me. As Aaron mentioned, I want to take a step back and talk a little more about the dredge program to make sure our listeners understand what a dredge is and what we do in the dredge program and how it is beneficial to the nation. So, Violet, can you tell us a little bit about the dredge program and the benefit that it provides to the nation? Absolutely. At its most basic, dredging is the process of keeping our nation's waterways open to shipping traffic. So what that looks like is using a variety of types of heavy equipment and boats, floating plants, to move material that is blocking a channel out of the way, whether that's sand or silt that has built up in the river bottom. We also use dredging equipment to remove debris. And it, that allows us to move goods and services throughout the country. So being from the West Coast, for example, the Columbia River is in the Northwest, the largest river. 
it, the Snake River empties into it. The Columbia Snake System annually moves about $23 billion worth of goods and services, everything from petroleum products to most of the nation's wheat supply go in and out of the United States through the Columbia River. And those vessels can get in and out of the river because of the dredging that we do to maintain the depth of the river itself. The other critical feature of dredging is for life safety. Our waterways of the nation are kept safe by the U.S. Coast Guard, and in order for them to get their vessels in and out of port, we need to make sure that they have clearance to respond to emergencies. Thanks, Violet. June is National Safety Month, and, and as we talked a little bit earlier about the safety um, on the dredge fleet is, is really important and imperative for the Corps. Al, I wanted to know, how does the Corps ensure that you know, our staff is safe uh, in working in this environment. And these are challenging, definitely a challenging environment to work on, being on the water with different boats and moving parts. And with safety being so important for us, you know, what are we doing to ensure the safety of our staff? So I think we're doing a number of things, but let me emphasize with the chief that is that everyone is a safety officer. So as part of our job, and it's part of our mission, our jobs, our tasks, to look out for the safety and welfare of our fellow employees, contractors, and the public. Uh, it's not something that's just delegated to someone else because they have a title. Everyone has a part in that. So with that, it's important that people, when they come to work, that they be able to leave the same way, safe and healthy. That's an emphasis that the chief has always had. And quite frankly, that's something that UCS has always promoted. Additionally, you know that we have various publications and standards that are critical to providing guidance to the work that we do. And so with that dredging, since most people don't know what that is, what type of standards are there? So you can look at the EM385, you can look at federal law, those things we have, so that way it gives us some standards or guidance to which we would follow. Thanks, and I know when, you know you talk about the protocols that are in place and you really, I was kind of curious, you know, you, you mentioned that you, you've really been on the water for a long time and getting to see the sunrise and sunset out there, but that probably also means you interact with the public, at least to some extent. You know, is there anything in particular you want to say about really how we interact with the public, but also ensuring that the public is safe while these dredging operations are ongoing? Uh, yes. Normally, here in Baltimore, you have one inspector for one contractor. Uh, our contractors work 24-7. They work day and night. They have three crews, three shifts. They have one on during the day, one at crew at night, and then another crew that's off. So as far as our inspections go, our safety goes, we're, we're independent of our brothers and sisters in the Corps because when we're on the site, like I said, it's you and the contractor. So we take the training that we have and we do oversight. We don't do uh, QC, we, we do quality oversight, construction oversight. So we assist the contractor in making and ensuring that all the things that are in the 385 1-1 or in the electrical codes or OSHA, or you name the safety regulation, those are the things that we use within the core in our toolbox, if you will. As far as the public, we deal with politicians, we deal with the uh, the public, yes, because sometimes when you're on the water in areas where there's, where there's water 
are people who, who go out to make a living fishing and crabbing and things of that nature. They feel the ocean is vast. The water system is vast. So they sometimes they will claim the entire space as their own, and the contractor has to work diligently not to destroy uh, their economic means, uh, uh, such as crab pots and fishing lines and things of that nature. So we get into discussions. Now we have to talk to each other. And I think it's a good thing because now the contractor knows what the, what the watermen are looking for, and they all know that the Corps is here to assist the contractor to help the, the citizens of the United States get the result that they're looking for in the waterway system. So safety is paramount uh, as far as the Corps in Baltimore District. We get the training, we get constant training, whether it's a state training agency or a federal training agency. We go through these trainings and we also have a safety office. Our safety office also supports us. And uh, whenever we get on a contract, we allow them, we don't allow them, we ask them to come out and do oversight of our, our pre-inspection. So, so, so yes, we, we interact and the interaction is conversation and coming to a meeting of the minds to know that, okay, we're all here to serve a purpose. Thank you for that, Willie. And Violet, it seems to me like in any work environment, there's potential hazard and dredging is no different. And I often wonder what the difference is between land-based construction and marine-based construction. And so are there similarities in protocol or, you know, are there differences? Can you talk a little bit about that? I just wanted to add that one of the things that the Corps of Engineers has really been focused on with our safety program nationwide as it applies to our own personnel, as it applies to our contractor, as it applies to our interactions with the public, is to really shift our approach from a reactive responding to an accident and saying this is how we're going to make sure this exact thing never happens again, to more of a risk-based integrated approach where everyone who is involved in an activity at any level has the opportunity to look ahead, identify potential uh, hazards, and work as a team to identify ways to mitigate that risk. It's a long-term program that we're rolling out, but it really allows us to, instead of saying, hey, if you fall off a boat, it's bad. So I'm gonna put up a guardrail so you don't fall off. That's reactive to an accident that happened. It allows us to look at that boat and say, when there is no dredge material in this boat and it's 30 feet off the water, what are all of the ways that someone can get hurt? And let's think about this holistically to address all of the risks and really proactively manage the safety of our staff, of our contractors, and of the public that we work around. Moving back to your question on how dredging is different from traditional construction, when we think of construction, we think of a couple of things in this country for the most part. We think of large cranes in downtown building a high-rise building, or we think of big yellow caterpillar equipment moving across the ground. What is different in dredging is you're, you're working on the water. So you take all of the hazards of heavy construction and add to it all of the hazards of being on a boat, on the water, in an environment where you're dealing with tides, you're dealing with different weather elements. The surface of the ship as you're walking around the deck can be pitching and moving around you sometimes rather dramatically, depending on what the tides and weather are doing. And then, as Willie mentioned, when you are out on these dredges or working in the placement areas for the material that we pull out of the bottom of the river, you're often out there alone. It's just you and the contractors. 
Sometimes it's in incredibly remote locations. It can be hard to get medical treatment or emergency response. There can be other unique hazards that don't exist when you're in downtown Sacramento. And then there is a jurisdiction that changes. When you're actually working on the water, the U.S. Coast Guard has jurisdiction for those vessels that move around. So it really brings a different component to the work that we do when we're dredging. And then added to that, sometimes you also have all of the traditional risks. So Willie mentioned working on beach restoration projects. If we're pulling sand out of the water and pumping it onto the beach, then you have all of your traditional construction equipment working on a beach, sometimes where the public is also present in a completely separate operation, sometimes miles removed from the dredge itself, which has all of the hazards of the marine construction operation. Thanks. That definitely seems like a, a very challenging environment, and, and really on both sides, the, the marine side and the, the upland side where you might be dealing with the public. We talked a little bit about, you know, the training and some protocols, you know, some of that guidance, but I, I was really interested in, and Violet mentioned the risk-based integrated approach, and that seems like, you know, versus maybe a traditional approach where you have guidance and rules that you follow, this, is this risk-based approach a little bit more, more hands-on? And Alec, can you maybe talk to us a little bit about the training that goes into making sure that our staff is up to speed on all the safety aspects and really even how they do work with the individual dredge companies um, and the public a little bit like Willie had talked about? Yeah, so I think uh, there are a couple of things. Could Violet talked about the risk-based portion. We do that through our activity hazard analysis where we go through the whole work process. We outline all the different hazards that are associated with it and how we're going to mitigate those hazards so that way the operation is, is made safe or we know what those hazards are and we reduce that risk of that hazard. So those are one aspect of, of how we deal with things. Then there's a, the section of, again, a standards by which we follow, which is in, in the EM385, there's a whole section on floating plant and marine activities, which is in section 19. Uh, we also have a prospect course, which is on floating plant safety. That's usually done two to three times per year. And again, we use folks from the field and from the safety office to help teach that course to help uh, people understand all the different hazards, the different programs that are associated with it, and things that they need to be aware of. So that's really important. Additionally, we have our high hazard work groups. Specifically, we outline two of them. One is the load handling equipment, which normally people think of cranes on the land. But however, you could put a crane on a barge or on a floating plant, and guess what? That changes something because it's on the water. So you have the yaw or the role of the ship you have to deal with. And also, depending upon the weight and how it's distributed, that affects the center of gravity. And when you put that together with the roll and pitch of a, of, of a vessel, that gets a lot more uh, complicated, okay? And then with underwater diving, you may have folks who need to go inspect things. And so diving operations in conjunction with dredging it just has to be well-coordinated and well-thought-out. And, again, all those hazards and things like that need to be dealt with. And then with that, with our diving, we also have courses where we have our dive safety administration course, which helps those who are doing diving operations, whether it be contractor or core, to deal with and understand the different complexities and things that they have to make sure occur. And then with that, when you meld that together with our, our dredging operations, that becomes really important. 
within operations, we also have our floating plant community in practice. And they've been focused really this year on subpart M, which is a part of regula federal regulations to get our floating plants up to speed in terms of the federal regulations, in terms of certificates of inspection and things like that with the Coast Guard. We also have Council for Dredging and Marine Construction Safety. Now, this is a kind of a unique group because it actually started with the core. The core and industry saw a need back in uh, about seven years ago to deal with a lot of uh, issues involving dredging and all the safety hazards associated with that. Uh, since then, things have changed a little bit, but in short, it's kind of expanded itself to both dredging, maritime, and shipyard operations. And with that, those contractors have, again, joined together to form CDMCS, which is uh, Council for Dredging and Marine Construction Safety. That's important because, if you will, industry is, themselves are recognizing the importance of safety within their purview. So, and all the different challenges associated with that. So with that, uh, that's been really uh, very positive. And then as Willie mentioned, they do safety oversight. So there's inspections and checklists uh, associated with when they go out into the field. Those are all many different ways in which we deal with our training, our resources, as well as our toolbox discussions at the local level. And then with that, there some divisions are actually standing up uh, webinars to, to, to talk about judging safety. So I think there's a, a good amount of resources to help USACE employees with judging safety. Thanks, Al. And it sounds like we do quite a good job on training individuals on safety protocols. And it's no surprise uh, since the Corps' main goal is to make sure the employees and the public are safe. I do want to shift the conversation, though. Um, recently, the Corps has noticed an increase in accidents on dredging projects. And so, Al, what are some of the recent leading causes of these incidents? Right. We took a very in-depth look for the past five years, and we noticed that the majority of our items uh, in terms of mishaps involve slips, trips, and falls, number two, exertion, and then also being caught in between things, whether it be caught in between a pinch point or, or something. So with that, that's kind of the overview, but if you will, you take a look at some of our more serious hazards or accidents that have happened recently, they involve like things like line handling, falling, fall protection, proper use of hazardous materials, crashing or collision, if you will, and then again, underwater pipeline damages to that, and which have proved catastrophic as well. But that also goes back to, if you will, an even more discussion on whether things are being properly planned. So if you will, in diving, we talk about planning your dive and diving your plan. So are people doing the proper planning and execution? And when they're executing, are they properly supervising their employees? Are their employees trained for the, for, for the tasks that they're, they're doing? If you will, the dredging industry a lot of times has folks that come in and out a lot. And so with that, how have they done, what have they done to make sure that the personnel are trained for the tasks that they're assigned to do? Another issue is fatigue. When you work long hours and you're underway for long periods of time, how do you get people to get rest as well as to avoid fatigue? Otherwise, that's kind of a recipe for a disaster. We talked about 
earlier about analysis of hazard, hazards in our AHAs and APPs. But I would also add when we find safety hazards that we need to aggressively correct those safety hazards. Other things that we, I think uh, causes are proper housekeeping. So if you're piling on things left and right and they're not lashed down to the deck or within the skin of the ship, then as the vessel moves, things are liable to fall down, okay? And they fall on people, unfortunately. So when we talk about personal protective equipment, people need to have the proper personal protective equipment so that way it sets their last, if you will, that's their last defense against a hazard, okay? And again, going back to our initial discussion of planning and execution, it's kind of attention to detail, because if you don't have the attention to detail of what's going on, then you kind of, it's easy to lose the bubble, and then guess what? All your planning goes out the window, and your execution goes out the window. So those are some of the things I think we see uh, right now affecting our dredging projects with, with regards to causes and things like that. Great. Thanks, Al. Willie, I was kind of wondering, like, when you're, you're out on the water, you know, what are the, the actual challenges you see and what are some of your biggest concerns, kind of a, you know, day-to-day, -day, like, what you see when you're working out there? And, you know, I know we've talked a little bit about the actual plans, but you're in the water putting these plans into place and executing those. Can you just give us a little bit of your perspective on, on what this is like? Yeah, sure. Primarily, it's the access, the accessibility to the equipment that's on the water. Uh, you have to take a vessel from shore to the dredge plant. The dredge plant could be two miles or it could be 20 miles away. Then you got to deal with Mother Nature. And uh, we always say you got to get along with Mother Nature because you can't beat her. So we always do the inspections on these, uh, what we call them crew vessels, to ensure that they can take a pretty good seat. Uh, we've been in some seas sometimes that uh, that wasn't too pleasant, even though the sunrise was nice. Just the ride to the site wasn't. So that's primary, getting to the site. And once you get to the site, uh, one question that you guys posed was the difference between a dredging operation, a maritime operation, and a land construction. Land construction, the ground is stable. It's not going to move, praise God. But when you get out there on the water, like the other two have already stated, there, there's a, a floatability thing. There's a listing thing. There's a means where the vessel or the barge will not stay level with no reason whatsoever. It's going to decide to go ahead and shift uh, footage-wise on either side, and now you have to brace yourself. And so that comes with dealing with employees falling overboard or, or yourself falling overboard. We talk about PFDs. Uh, PFDs, uh, uh, your life vests. In most cases, when we are there in the water, in rough cases, uh, rough situations, the employee has to wear a life vest 24-7, whether inside a guardrail or out. You know, well, one more thing, if I may, the EM3-51-1, my, in my opinion, after these years, has been the minimum requirement. There's going to have to be some adjustments once you get on site. So we do a preliminary inspection here in Baltimore with when the equipment is at the dock and is not as so dry dock or what have you. We do a physical inspection. We go by the EM3-51-1. But once it gets on the water, it's going to have a different workability. It's going to have a different uh, uh, view when, when an employee has to throw a line on a cleat and you've got a guardrail there. 
So instead of a guardrail, you may have to put a starch hand line or a grab rail. So these are adjustments that, that has to be, we have to make versus land construction or marine construction. And then you look at if it rains, if it snows, well, guess what? They're still working on the water. If there's a three or four foot sea blowing a 25, 30 knot wind, they are still working. Uh, you have guys, uh, employees that are riding on these scows. We deal with fall protection and we're talking about the whole harness and, and not just wearing a lanyard, but the lanyard has to be the appropriate tool for the hike. You know, we say over six feet. So you don't want to put on suppression lanyard that has three feet inside the package and six foot out. That's nine feet, but you're only six feet high. So we have static lines. So it's a whole lot of things that we have to look at as government representatives for the contractor will do the contractor's best to provide safety for his or her people. The Corps of Engineers, when we go do oversight, we are ensuring that the contractor is doing the best for his or her people. So we're not doing the work, we're not delegating, we're observing and doing the oversight. And in that, sometimes they go to a rush they get a rush to do this or a rush to do that, and we'll look at the captain or the supervisor and say, you know, you might want to slow that down a little bit. You might want to pick up that piece over there. You might want to wash the mud off that scow. The interaction when we get out there, when we can get out there, is greatly, is greatly necessary and important. So I, I, I would say the whole aspect, once you step on that boat, that vessel to get on the dredge until you get off the dredge is everything is critical. There's not one piece that's not critical. If you get a fire out there, you're in trouble. These guys have to be trained in how to fight a fire. These type things right here. So I hope that answers your question. It does. Thank you. So we're getting to the end of our session, but we always like to give our uh, interviewees an opportunity to have some final thoughts. So I'm going to go around uh, to each of our guests and ask if you have any final thoughts. I'll start with Violet. I would just say that one of the things that I love most about working on the water and with dredging with all of the hazards that we've talked about today are that whether we're working with our partners, our non-federal sponsors that we, we do the dredging with, whether we're working with our contractors, whether it is our core-owned dredges, that we own and operate ourselves with our own personnel or whether we're interacting with the public. There really is a camaraderie and a partnership between all of the players. There is a focus on keeping everybody safe. Everybody acknowledges and understands that this is one of the more dangerous things that we can do in the construction industry and is committed to making sure everybody goes home safe at the end of the day. It's part of why I love what we do with dredging in the Corps of Engineers. So thank you for the opportunity today. Thank you for joining us. So Willie, any final thoughts from you? Yeah, of course. And I'm going to, I'm going to make it short. I want to piggyback off one thing. I agree with both what both of your uh, participants have said. They're very knowledgeable and I respect their positions. Uh, one thing, uh, I think Ms. Violet mentioned the beach work. And when we do beach work and when it's in the dead of summer, we have to get out there early in the morning and mark off the amount of beach we need to use for the whole day. Because once a person puts out their beach chair, we talked about how we associate with the public. Once they put out their beach chair, they're there. So, and you can't stop. So you have to, if you got to mark off 12,000, oh, excuse me, 1,200, 1,500 feet of beach to, uh, to get your 
project in enough time for them to enjoy their their beach work. It, it's a camaraderie thing, like was said. It's a it's an understanding that okay, the public is still the public, and uh, they pay for what they they want to do, and they, and they earn that rest time. We're putting more sand on the beach, but in the same instance, we have to be mindful of the safety concerns of children walking around and things of that nature. I also just just wanted to say that you can never take the human element out of safety. When you take the human element as an oversight person of oversight, uh, when you take that human element out of safety, you're going to have difficulties. So we need to ensure, and I hope people are hearing this, we need to pay attention and not delete quality oversight, but increase it. And uh, they don't have to be on site 12 hours a day. But for people to stay in a good physical health, to go home, back home with more wealth, then we have to maintain the human element. And I thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. And then, Al, any thoughts from you? So, I just, again, I just want to react to just the, the, the wonderful comments that both Violet and uh, Willie have just uh, stated. If you will, you, you can see the attention to detail that they go into with regards to safety and how important it is, not only just from the headquarters and the headquarters safety offices, but down in the field where the rubber meets the road. So that's really great to hear. And again, I just want to re-echo what they've stated. And then along with that, again, with public safety, you know, Willie's absolutely right uh, in terms of how we engage the public. Uh, I think recently we kind of noticed that uh, we may need to start doing a little bit more in, in terms of community engagement with either local officials, uh, getting those contractors and, and use employees maybe even for a public hearing so that way they know that they can't be on the be on that particular part of the beach uh, when work is being done. And with that, Willie stated that, you know, we have to put those barriers and signs up to keep to keep the public away as well as make sure that they're they're aware of those hazards. Sometimes we may need to even have people who are there on station to kind of, if you will, to kind of ward them off and making sure that, that they're not within that hazardous area or work zone because that work zone, it can be very hazardous, okay? So with that, so everything that they stated with safety and, and how important it is not only to this part of what we do in the core, but into everything that we do in the core, uh, whether it's construction on land or construction or dredging on, on the waterways, we do a lot of great things and we need to make sure that we do things safely so that way, again, we safeguard the safety and health of both the public, ourselves, and our contractors because it's all partnership and we want everyone to be safe and healthy. Yeah, thank you. I think, you know, what Willie said about the human element is so important, and that really just applies to every single thing that the, the Corps does, from dredging to planning and other construction. Really, it's it's about being public servants, and the human element is key because that's who we're serving. So I want to thank you all, Al, Violet, and Willie, for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. For our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you, and people you're interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.